1: Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
0: Talk about last night's uh, win by the Chicago Bulls over the Cleveland Cavaliers in double overtime in Chicago. Uh, Not only is he the play-by-play voice of the Bulls, uh, NBC Sports Chicago, he's also NFL on Fox, MLB on Fox. The man has more jobs uh, than Seacrest and manages to stay very nice and very humble. It is Adam Amin on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. Adam, welcome to the show, buddy.
2: Oh, man, good to talk to you again, pal. <laughs> Thanks for the intro.
0: Well, I got to ask you, how much have you talked about the leap year today? Because uh, judging by the other stations I've listened to on Sports Talk, it is a hot topic on February 29th, the fact that this only happens once every four years. Do you You feel a lot – you got a lot of takes on leap year?
2: I, the The one take I think I have is basically a meme that I see go around once in a while usually during a leap year in February, where it's like, you know, instead of 12 months, why don't we do 13 with 28 days apiece? And I'm like, sounds good. You let me know when that happens. Until then, I'm just going to pretend that this doesn't, this, this, this isn't a thing that we have to concern ourselves with, other than like Tyrese Halliburton has a birthday on a leap year day that's all
0: so it's interesting you say this because we did get into quite a donny brook either this week or last week i don't know time's a flat circle about um (laughs) what was it daylight saving time oh man and that was corrected because i kept saying daylight savings time and somebody could not have that one of our listeners furious lost all credibility with him so it's been a very good weather calendar related month here as we also had (laughs) snow today after being 60 degrees two days ago it's just what a time to be alive adam
2: you and you and me both, pal. It was 60 on Monday. It was 70 on Tuesday and it was 30 yesterday and it's about 40 today. So in the same boat.
0: So looking to the Cavaliers, um, I'm just curious because you saw them three times in the last like month and a half. You saw them on January mm-hmm. 15th. They got a convincing win over the bulls 109 91. Then you saw them on Valentine's day right before the break it was a Cavs win, but it was a close one, closer than expected, 108-105. And then last night, the Cavs just kind of fell apart in double overtime. Do you see a dramatically different team, whether, the way they're playing, all that kind of stuff, like last night versus what you saw going back to January 15th, kind of in the middle of that stretch of 18-20 wins?
2: You know, I I, I didn't feel like there was much of a difference other than, like, what the rotations are going to look like. You know, I think Dean Waite was out, you know, so it's like that's an extra body, and that extra body, once you get in closer to playoff time, actually matters whether you're going to play him or not. You know, because it feels like JB is still working on rotations, and, you know, Keith and I were talking about this a little bit too, and that's what it seems like, at least right now. Like, every coach wants to cut down uh nine guys at most maybe eight guys uh in key stretches during you know playoff series and I know this this is going to be a really important playoff series whatever it ends up being whether you guys are the the two the three the four whatever it is it's going to be a very important series especially after the you know disappointing finish a year ago so I understand that cutting rotations down getting a a solid stagger of when you play Mitchell and Garland together and when you play them separate how much you play Allen and Mobley apart compared to how much you play them separately. I know these are all questions and, and experiments that you're running right now. I don't see a ton of difference in the style of play game to game. I think in game is when you see a lot of the peaks and valleys, right? And whether that's rotational based, whether that's movement based, whatever that's based on that given night, it's been, this has been an up and down team. Like even, you know the blowout win in January. I think I think the Cavs were up big. I think they were up like 20, 21 points in the second half. Bulls came back and took a lead at one point in that game. So, you know, I know it ended up being Cleveland making the the strong push towards the end in January. But like that's that's the type of games I've seen Cleveland play, where they can have big leads and that lead can dissipate very quickly. All of a sudden, like as good as they are defensively overall, game to game. I think against the better offensive teams, they fall into some lows, whether it's on offense with ball and player movement, or whether it's on defense with pre-rotational stuff. Because at its best, I think this Cleveland defense rotates really well. They they put Allen and Mobley into good positions to be great help defenders, and they allow Mitchell to you know be aggressive, and, and Garland for that matter too, um, to be aggressive out on the perimeter with steals and, and let those guys kind of operate as, as rim protectors. I see a lot of lows. Now, Come playoff time, is that going to hurt more? Yeah, it is. Right, right now, no, it doesn't really matter that so much. They're still what twenty five and 7, seven or something like that, or whatever. Twenty five and eight the last thirty some odd games, but come playoff time, I think that's when that could become more of a factor, and a problem.
0: Adam, I'm so glad you mentioned um, it. Kind of that little spot there at the end about uh, the timing of everything and their overall record. You know, when the when the Cavs kind of staggered into. And stumbled into the All-Star break. It was, well, they're tired. And then the the first few games after the All-Star break, it was, well, just one or two games. And now you look at it, they're they're three and four in their last seven games. And we've kind of had this ongoing debate as a station on when on the NBA calendar do does style points or what wins or losses look like matter as much as wins or losses themselves. And I'm curious whether you have whether it's February 29th or any other day, when all of a sudden how you win really starts to tell you the tale on whether or not you're going to be able to play well and succeed in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, that's a great, that's a great thought. And And I know there's, you know, 50 different answers from 50 different people if you ask them, right? Like feel wise, if you're like a really good team, like you're really, you know, elite level roster, let's say a Boston right now, right? Like, that's a team that has pretty good championship medal, like they've been there. That you know a lot of that roster has been to the finals. Uh, they have played a lot of playoff games. They got a lot of experience on that team. So I'm like not as concerned with that group with like the Tatum and Brown run, and I'm not worried about Al Horford and you know guys like that. So for Boston, that has like a little bit more solid deep playoff experience, I'm less concerned about what they look like in like late February and like the first couple weeks of March when everybody's kind of shaking off a little bit of the, you know, all-star break mindset, you know, maybe some of those guys are taking some time, you know, off or being a little bit lighter on their feet uh, when when they get done with some all-star festivities, like the guys who, who had to make the trip to Indianapolis. I'm not worried about them. When it comes to everybody else in the East, the Philadelphias, the Milwaukee's, the Cleveland's, the Knicks, You know, teams that either don't have as much of a deep playoff pedigree or haven't played particularly well despite their pedigree. Like Milwaukee falls into that category perfectly. I feel like you really have to start keying in right about like the second week of March because that's when it gets a little more solidified. you got a month left. you got about 20 games or so to really kind of tinker and experiment. Obviously, a team like Milwaukee that's only had 13 games with Doc Rivers has a lot of work to do. You know they're six and seven. I know they're playing a little bit better now. Uh, five, five of their last seven, they've won. But I think Milwaukee is a team that needs to start figuring it out now. I think Cleveland is a team that has a little bit more leeway because they've had more continuity and they've had multiple iterations of their roster to be able to figure out how to win games. And I think it's tinkering here right now for JB. Like rotation wise, what's my best lineup against this type of team? What's my best lineup in this situation? Like these are things you have to track as a coaching staff. So I feel like it's different for different teams, but like if I'm looking at Cleveland and Milwaukee and Boston, the top three in the East, I think it's very different timelines based on the experience, the current level of play, and what I've seen overall from October until now.
0: Adam, given the insane scoring that teams average now in the NBA, the the association has had thoughts about tweaking the rules to to maybe, I don't know, give defenders a chance. One such proposal that has support, it's not an official proposal, but that that uh, NBA uh, decision-makers have tossed around was eliminating the defensive three-second violation. Did Are you a fan of that idea and how it might change the NBA? Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced.
1: Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game.
0: You have 47 new voicemails.
1: Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: When I first hear it, I'm not a fan of it, but I am a fan of playing around with something like that or playing around with this. I think this is a concept that could grow on me a little bit. Initially, I I balk at it. But I think part of that is just this is the way we've done it for a long time, and there are other problems to fix. I think like how fouls are called in the league right now are a bigger issue, which boils down to officiating. I think officiating, as we've talked about, I know you guys have probably discussed this a plenty just in the last couple of weeks alone with some of the results that have, that have uh, taken place. You know, in, involving the Knicks in particular, their game against uh, Detroit. Earlier this week, where the no, you know, the no call on DiVincenzo, uh, the Rockets game where they have the protest that got denied the other day, you know, when there should have been a foul on, I think it was Aaron Brooks, um, you know, like just the way the games are officiated, I think have to be cleaned up first. That might help. I think consistency is something that's really important. It's really hard. I understand because there are so many volatile personalities in the NBA and so many different types of personalities. And the only way to grow relationships between officials and players is to let the officials officiate. But I I feel like there's a couple of other issues before we start deep, deep diving into some of the more consistent rules that we've had, but I'm open to it. I'm definitely open to it because something has to give when the point total is what, like 115, 116, like the league average right now, it's really high, but just I don't see enough physical defense. I don't. I see inconsistent levels of physicality night in and night out. And I think that's where the initial problems lie, rather than the functional and mechanical operation of what a defense looks like. I think the individual physicality has to be figured out first, and that begins with how it's officiated, and more importantly, how consistently it's officiated.
0: I just can't believe you think tackling someone is a foul now. I mean, talk about uh, this woke soft generation cancel shock, culture shock and all that. And,
2: you know, we're- we used to be a country. We used to be a proper country around these parts. Now,
0: I mean, uh, if 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 Kareem Abdul-Jabbar can't knock Kent Benson <laughs> into 1989, is it even basketball anymore? I ask. Actually, so I got into an absolute Donnie Brook uh, yesterday with my my partner. I got into uh, now the morning show. I had a fight about my take. I and it was about Mark Price, how he'd look in this era. I'm curious, though which NBA player from a bygone era would you most like to see play in a day's day NBA? Uh,
2: a couple come, come to mind. Um, no surprise that, you know, they're both European. I think uh, I, I would have loved to see our Sabonis, DeMontis' dad, uh, who I think a lot of, a lot of guys I talked to from that era, you know, the Dominique Wilkins of the world, my partner, Stacey King, uh, who played against guys like that. You know, they say that he would have fit into the modern era. Like, Arvidas Sabonis could have been like a Doncic, Jokic type of player because that's the role he would have been placed into based on the skill set that he was already coming in with. Um, I, again, in Chicago, I, you know, I'm a little closer to this, but Tony Kukoc, you know, who, is a, who became a really solid player as basically like a, a fourth or fifth, sometimes sixth man uh, in terms of options for what that Bulls team was doing. Oftentimes, he was the, the third best scorer on the team. Uh, you know, he came in with that that style of play that you know the like Luka Doncic makes makes look easy right now. What Jokic does at his size is what Sabonis was doing a lot of. Not exactly the same, and maybe not with the same size or physicality, but with the passing ability, the vision, uh, the clever nature of the play that made it tougher on defenses to figure out what he was doing. And he still had the the level of physicality that was appropriate for that style. that era of basketball so those are two guys that i've i've talked a lot about with other players that feel like they would have fit in perfectly in the style of play that we see right now guys who are a little bit bigger who could still shoot from distance who had a passing ability that belied their size and a vision and iq that that felt like somebody who had been playing in the nba for a long period of time even though those guys at all, this great international experience, they translated it better than a lot of other European players did.
0: Adam, great stuff as always, buddy. Appreciate you. Keep killing it, and uh, uh, maybe next time the Cavs get another win because I like it more when the Cavs <laughs> win than the Bulls win. Just, just for my own kind of feel there.
2: So it's still, it's still like a seven, you know, like a 10, ten, ten game spread, nine, nine, ten game spread. I think your guys are fine. <laughs> all
0: right, we'll, we'll we'll see, buddy. No, appreciate you, buddy. Great stuff.
2: No, no problem at all, pal. Anytime.
0: Adam mean there on the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline, the play-by-play voice of the Bulls, uh, NBC Sports Chicago, NFL on Fox, MLB on Fox.
1: Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way.